All right, good morning. Let's pray over the offering. Lord Jesus, would you bless uh, this offering as we pass it around? And Father, it's merely a reflection back to you of your great grace and your great love that you've given to us. In your name we pray, amen. I uh, asked Holly Cotton if she would actually start our service with a little testimony. If little, I thought I heard little Hadessa back there. Are you still good to share? Okay, good. Come on up here. Little Hadessa is, are we eight weeks old? Nine. Nine. Oh, my goodness. Well, come on up here and uh, share with us. Uh, she and Paul moved um, from South Dakota. Here you go. Let's use this one right here. Is this, is this mic okay right here? All right, cool. You can jump on this one right here. We had just gotten together with Michael and Abby, and we were talking, and I wanted to share some things with him um, to kind of let him know what a great uh, congregation that he has, and that he comes up here asking most Sundays, and Laura kind of mentioned it, like salt in the city today, and so I had shared with him how we have like seen that in the short time that we've been here at this church, and then Paul can add if he wants to add anything. Um, but just some things, we had moved here, we didn't have many supports, and through that we had met you guys, she's appreciative, I promise, <laughs> she gets to eat that food, so, <laughs> um, the, Abby had immediately offered to do like a meal train for us, and it's been neat to see through that process how that has really unfolded here at that church, and so I wanted to share that, because if we don't say it, we don't always know it. We see things, but why don't we speak the good things? And so um, being the hands and feet of Christ is what we've really seen come out of this church. So we had people that we didn't know bringing us food over, which was so amazing because we got to sit down and get to know them better. Um, they got to also hold Hadessa, which gave us breaks. And, <laughs> and a couple of them even said, well, hold her while you eat, and that was amazing. So... Um, just people going above and beyond. So before I share some of those, you may have to take her over, little miss. So I'm a, I'm a joke individual. Like, I always like humor. Um, let me see if I can get it on here. This is a little cheesy. It doesn't fully make sense, but I like the point of it that relays into the rest of it. So one afternoon, a wealthy lawyer was riding in his limousine when he saw two men along the roadside eating grass. I know that doesn't make sense, but bear with me. Disturbed, he ordered his driver to stop, and he got out to investigate. He asked one man, why are you eating grass? We don't have any money for food, the poor man replied. Well, then, the lawyer said, you can come with me to my house. But, sir, the man answered, I have a wife and two children with me. Bring them along, the lawyer replied, and turning to the second man, he said, you can come with us also. In a pitiful voice, the second man said, but, sir, I have a wife and six children with me. The lawyer extended his invitation to them as well. They all entered the car, which was no easy task, even as large as a limousine. Once underway, one of the poor fellows turned to the lawyer and said, Sir, you are too kind. Thank you for taking all of us with you. The lawyer replied, Glad to do it. You'll love my place. The grass is almost a foot high. So you guys didn't offer us grass a foot high. You offered us the generosity, which we greatly appreciated. Um, some of you have even reached out to me now that, like, we've hit two months and we can start to get out of the house. You've, um, Carol, you took me out to lunch. So I was like, man, so the way that people are reading other people's hearts. Um, 
being empathetic, delving into their lives is exactly the way that I think I, I know Christ would want us to be. Um, just the prayers, people coming up every week and praying with us, having a genuine interest in Hadessa, which has been our miracle baby. And so obviously we love you for loving her. Um, just the other things that this church has even done is the emergency help after the hurricane. Seeing Michael send that out to immediately be available. I'm like, wow, for being like our, our, our church that's just starting and growing and rising off the ground, look what look what we're doing. This is the way I truly believe it, a, a church is. And Paul and I have traveled much and been to many churches. And so this is just, my heart is just greatly touched. Um, the pastor, like him, every time I hear anything in you, Abby, it is like people know you and somehow you're so integrated right into their lives and you have a way to really read people's needs. And so God has greatly gifted you with that. So um, some other great things that we've had that I wanted to share. Hadessa was born with a recessive jaw. Her jaw sits back. So because of that, she has some extra help to be able to um, breastfeed. And so through that process, Cynthia um, ended up knowing Abby, who knew other people who had children that also can benefit from breast milk, because I don't need all that I pumped, um, and one of them adopted a child, and so sometimes I think it's interesting the way that God answers prayers, because I'm praying for my daughter's recessive jaw to be healed, but God is taking something that maybe not so great in our eyes and making it so good, and so I'm not feeding one baby, I get to feed two babies, and so that... <laughs> So what I think may have been bad, it's just, I don't know, it's really beautiful in my eyes to get to be able to do that. So um, Monica even reaching out, I'm not, I know I hated to kind of pick because there's so much, but Monica too, um, I don't know where you're even at. Oh yeah, she's like, I'll pick you up for ladies group. I'm like, oh, just those little bitty things are so cool. Because it's not like we're all just driving separately to this ladies group. We're like, no, no, let's get in my car and let's go together like that is building I'm a social worker and that is like building relationships we are being involved in their life not just all showing up over at Ruth's house um I'm probably going beyond my three minutes I'm so sorry I get so excited <laughs> and then I really share but guys those are just a lot of like you can see the cycle of how we're getting blessed what we get to take and be blessed and so when we're doing that like here and even more in our community we're going to see this pay it forward thing. It's just going to keep going and going. And uh, we will see more of God and less of evil. And uh, that will be the stance that we get to take. And I'm amazed. So thanks for letting me share. Amen. <laughs> I want to I pray for you guys. We'll just okay. some, reach out a hand to either one of them. You're fine over there, Paul. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I praise you for these two. And Lord, I praise you for their journey. Um, Lord, I praise you for bringing them here from South Dakota, and uh, Lord, I praise you for their sweet baby, Hadessa, and Father, we're all um, moved that what started out as something that was really scary and really painful in a recessive jaw became something um, that you've used to minister to other people, and so Father, we're so blessed um, when you take stuff that's hard and difficult and scary in our life, and you use it to bless those around us, and um, that's actually the sermon in a nutshell, so we can say yes and amen and go home. <laughs> Lord, would you bless these two? Would you bless their marriage, Paul's work, Lord Jesus, their home? Cause your face to shine upon them. In your name we pray. Amen.
you see those tears in her eyes when she was sharing? Oh, my goodness. Way to go, church. That's what she was saying. Way to go, guys. We might be small, but imagine what we can do together. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I am in Acts 16. And truly, the crux of the message is, will we allow God to take the things that are scary and difficult and painful and use them for his glory to bless people around us? That's, that is the essence. So, uh, Holly, you teed that up perfectly. Um, we are finishing our Pioneer series. We called it Pioneers because uh, the Pioneers navigated uh, with compasses alone, no maps. They didn't know where they were going. Um, and Paul was an early church pioneer, and he had a crew of people that worked with him. We tend to think that Paul worked alone. He was almost never alone in Scripture. And so we've actually gone through and looked at a number of different people and characters, and today we're taking a glance at Silas. But I'm actually going to step out from Silas, and we're going to look at what God did. We're going to be more, a little bit more God-centric today than on Silas um, himself. But we're going to look at what God did in Acts 16 um, through Paul and Silas. Sound good? All right, Acts 16, and we're going to start reading at verse uh, 16. And let me just say quickly, um, they had just come into a little city called Philippi. Um, and it actually wasn't a little city. It was a Roman colony that was huge, gateway between Europe and Asia. And a lady named Lydia had just come to Christ. So Lydia had just given her life to Christ. She was a really wealthy merchant of purple, trader of purple. And they're actually staying in her house, which is probably more like a palace. So Paul and Silas are like in their, you know, big, beautiful king beds or whatever she had, staying in their rooms in Lydia's palace. And let's pick it up in verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer and we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, even Paul gets annoyed, <laughs> that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for the us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully, and when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and saw the prison doors open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. <clears throat> the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. 
And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer and ordered, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, leave. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave their city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went back to Lydia's house, where they met the other believers and encouraged them. Then they left. Holy Spirit, as we look at this passage today, would you open the eyes of our heart? We praise you and worship you in your name. Amen. I had the privilege of traveling through um, Israel uh, almost two years ago now, and I roomed with a guy named Genny. Now, some of you met Genny. Who's met? A few of you have met Genny, I think. Um, and then Genny's son, Genny and Sony, uh, have a son named David. And David was actually here. Some of you got to meet David. Let's see some hands again. Okay. David's coming back in January to go to school um, at UNCW, if all goes according to plan. And, uh, but I go to Israel, and I was, um, had been a part of pastoring a church, and now I was just landscaping when I went to Israel. I say just landscaping because it's part of the story. Um, And I get over there, and we're traveling through Israel, and I'm rooming with this guy named Genny, and I start asking Genny questions about his life experience. And as, I mean, it's like, I cannot get get this figured out about Genny. So I just kind of keep pulling the thread and pulling the thread and asking questions, and it takes me days to get his life story sort of figured out. But as I got it figured out, he came to Christ in 1991. He was the third person to come to Christ in the country of Albania when communism fell. Number three in the entire country. And he promptly, being full of the Spirit, began to travel with a small group of people from city to city. And guess what they did? They preached the gospel. And guess what happened in every city they went to? People came to Christ. And then not only people came to Christ, but they would actually leave strategic people. And by this time, they were getting outside support from Christians and believers around the world. And they were sending people in. And so they would strategically leave couples and families in different cities around the country of Albania. And guess what those couples who were coming in or individuals who were coming in would do? Start a church. So I'm sitting here in Israel, and I'm literally listening to Genny tell me how he went city to city to city preaching the gospel. And every time he goes into a new city, he leaves a couple or a group of people or a family, and they actually start a church. And I'm sitting here listening to him sort of wide-eyed, like, who am I to even be sitting here talking to this guy? He literally was on the front edge, the point of the spear of a revival that went through the country of Albania. It started with three, it started with zero believers in 1990. In 1991, there was three, and today there's about 50,000. And he literally went from city to city preaching the gospel of Christ Jesus. And I, my, my jaw is sort of dropping and I'm going, this is literally like what I read about in Acts. But I can't even tell you one modern day story like a living, breathing human that has experienced something like this. And I was just blown away by his experience. 
He'll come sometime, and he'll be the most humble guy, and you would never, ever know, and you'll meet him at some point. But our church actually sends some finances over and supports them, and he's a part of encouraging churches all over the country of Albania. But what's amazing is in this context, Paul and Silas are literally going from city to city. And when they go into a city, they've just arrived here in this uh, particular story, into Philippi, and there are literally no believers. And they begin to preach the gospel. And the first person they preach to is Lydia. They share with her, and Lydia gives her life to Christ. And at the end, she gets baptized, and her whole family gets saved. And then they're staying in her beautiful house, her big palace, and they continue to go out to pray and to preach, which we'll talk about uh, in future series. We're actually going to look at the entire book of Philippians in the new year. Um, But they go out to pray and preach, and when they're doing this, um, they literally are starting the church in Philippi. That's what's happening. We're seeing the foundation of the church in Philippi. So what I want you to sort of see and understand, maybe as we go about this, is you've got Paul and Silas who are traveling city to city, and I want to sort of start with a first point, which is we're going to see a God who never leaves you. We're going to see a God that never leaves you. Have you ever read that old um, footprints thing? It's like a chicken soup for the soul or something. It's probably a little overdone. But there's something about it that I love. You know, it's actually, I can't remember the lady's name who wrote it, but it was actually, I don't know if it was just a dream she had or a poem, but in it it says, I had a dream. And she's looking back down the beach of her life, and we understand that, living at the beach, right? And she's looking back down the beach, and she sees uh, two sets of footprints. And then it's like she kind of bows up and gets almost upset with God. And she's like, hey, I see all these hard years of my life, and in the hardest years of my life, there's only one set of footprints, What gives? You bailed out on me. And Jesus answered and says, sweetheart, it was in those years that I carried you. It was in those years. And and you kind of get this just flood of, oh my goodness, it's the God who never leaves you. So Paul and Silas go out and they're standing in this place of prayer. So they're praying and Paul gets annoyed by this female slave. Now, I think we ought to also make mention here. Um, this entire chapter that we just read has a great intersection between the natural and the supernatural, doesn't it? Now, if we talked about the natural and the supernatural for just a minute, there are people uh, around us who we all know who try to live their lives strictly in the natural and totally deny that there's any supernatural reality. And at the far extreme, we call those people atheists. And then there's varying degrees of that. And then there's also people maybe at the other end of the spectrum that try to live their lives all in the supernatural and ignore that the natural even exists, and we'd probably call those people weirdos. (laughs) But what the gospel is always doing is actually always bringing the natural and the supernatural. So when we actually pray, think about it, we're praying to God who is in the supernatural, and we're asking him to bring that supernatural reality into the natural. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, here in the natural, as it is in? Say it again, on earth, as it is in? So part of our job when we pray, we're actually bringing that supernatural reality into the natural. Now, if you don't know um, the Lord Jesus, if you don't walk with the Lord Jesus, and you come into a church and people are singing songs, it's like, this is weird. Now, we live in the Bible Belt South, and there's churches everywhere, and so most people have been exposed to some level of, of, you know, the Christian faith. But what is worship? 
Worship, again, is singing praise to King Jesus and actually is bringing some of that supernatural reality into our natural. Worship, in some ways, is a conduit of heaven. It brings some of that heavenly reality into our circumstances. We're going to see Paul and Silas do that here in a minute. When we get together and we open the scripture and talk about it in a small group, what are we doing? Is that God's word or our words? It's God's word. Again, we're bringing that supernatural reality into our natural reality. And as Christians, as believers, that's really part of our job. And, you know, the goal of Saltbox, the goal of this church, or really any church, is not to make a bunch of people pastors and professional Christians. Can I say that? I actually don't want you to be a pastor. I want you to carry Jesus back to where you work, back to your neighborhood, back to where you go to school. I talked to somebody, Abby and I talked to somebody yesterday who's talking about a men's group in their neighborhood. Yes, that's what the gospel of Christ Jesus is about. Not that we have a bunch of professional Christians. We're supported mostly by landscaping, by the way. So we're like, got a you know, foot in both of them. And the Lord keeps saying to me, keep landscaping. Okay. I'll keep planting plants and digging dirt and whatever, you know. Okay. <clears throat> when we open the word, though, you're bringing the supernatural reality into our natural reality. When I say things like pray first, what am I saying? I'm saying take a pause, time out. And actually pray and go, Lord, what are you doing in this situation and how can I be a part of it? Because the last thing we want to do is just bumble around in our own strength and our own steam and our own energy and just be natural people, right? We can't deny our natural. I'm not suggesting you act like that doesn't exist and we all become weirdos, right? Nor am I suggesting that, you know, we, we all go, you know, natural and they deny it. I'm actually saying, no, 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 let's participate with the Lord in everything we do, whether it's prayer or interacting with one another or reading the word, worshiping, in bringing that supernatural reality into our natural lives. And that is what we have right here. So you got Paul and Silas, and they're literally um, going around in prayer, number one. Um, and then the second thing they're doing is they're preaching. And you got this, this lady, this girl who's a slave, and she um, makes a tremendous amount of money for her owners. I know we can't probably fathom that, but she literally is fortune-telling, and she makes much money for, for the people who own her. And Paul becomes annoyed. Did anybody's translation have a different word? Exasperated. That's interesting. Okay. Anybody else? Different word? You can't. Ah, <laughs> I can't eat. Okay, anybody else? Okay, so Paul gets annoyed. I'm so glad Paul gets annoyed. Can I just say, when I read stuff like this in Scripture, I go, oh, Lord, there's hope for me. There's hope for you, too. Paul gets annoyed. And he looks at this young girl, and what does he do? Here's a supernatural reality. It's like, whoa, is that in the Bible? He rebukes this spirit that is in her because she's held captive. And he says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit leaves her. Boom, gone. Now what happens, the owners get angry. Now have you ever messed with a uh, man or woman's source of income? You ever done that? I've tripped into that a couple of times. That is not a pretty thing. You mess with somebody's purse strings, you mess with their income, you mess with their thing, and what do they do? They are going to rear up, they are going to cut you down, they are going to come after you, they are going to put you in your place, you are not. So what happens is that Paul literally takes away these people's source of income, and what do they do? They drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates, and do they say, hey, they took away our income? 
No, 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 no. They go, these guys are stirring up trouble against Rome. And they make up this big story, right? These guys are creating havoc, and they're calling us to live in a way that dishonors Rome. And this is a Roman colony called Philippi. And so literally, they are taken out, and they are ordered to be beaten with rods and severely flogged. When I was in high school, I went to high school here, and I went to a party I shouldn't have gone to. I knew better. And I was a freshman, and there was a group of these senior guys that had it out for me. I had hair back then that stuck up, and I was really tall, blonde hair before it fell out. And I was a little on the cocky side, I think, and I walked around with my backpack like this. And there was a couple of these senior guys that didn't like me, and I showed up at this party, and they jumped me. I got a fat lip and a black eye and a couple little things, nothing major. But Paul and Silas got beaten with rods. Beaten with rods. And they got flogged. Leather straps with things, chunks of metal or pottery on the back, so their entire backs would have been shredded. So they've been staying at Lydia's in these beautiful king bed suites, right? And now all of a sudden they're being beaten with rods because they've been preaching the gospel and they set some poor girl free from a demonic stronghold on her mind and her heart. And then they're thrown into prison. And not just prison, but they put them in the maximum security part of the prison. And it says they fasten their legs in stocks. And what that probably means historically is they not only put their legs in stocks, they probably put their wrists in stocks and they probably put their necks in a stock. And that's like a... um, Probably something similar to a railroad tie. Have you ever tried to lift a railroad tie? It's a railroad tie that comes down and, you know, clips over your legs or your feet, and it's got a little area, your hands cut out of it or your neck, and you are not moving. So you've got Paul and Silas. I think very few of us have probably been beaten with a rod. Even less of us have probably been whipped so, until we bleed. And so you've got Paul and Silas who've been going from city to city preaching the gospel. And suddenly they find themselves fastened, hand, probably feet, and neck in the stocks in the maximum security part of this prison. They're being guarded by this Roman jailer in a Roman colony called Philippi. And what do these guys start doing? Say it again. Praising God. Now, 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 now. Let's just stop a second. It's easy to praise God when things are good, right? Like you're, everything's going your way and you're having a good hair day if you have that. And you're having a good car day and a good work day and a good neighbor day. And your spouse or whoever you know you live with, your parents are being cool to you. It's great. To, it's easy to praise, right? When things are terrible, is it easy? When everything is against you, is it easy? One of the, like, hallmark things that I attempt to do in my life, it's like this stake I've driven in the ground and said, Lord, let me do this, is when we get or I get the worst news, the most terrible thing happens, the worst thing I can imagine, when those things happen, the first thing I do, I attempt to do, is not open my mouth, which sometimes I do, unfortunately, but is actually to get down and go, Lord Jesus, I praise you. I thank you for this situation. I praise you for what you've allowed. Lord, I do not understand it, but I choose to give you glory and honor and praise for this situation in our life. And Lord, I don't understand for what purpose you've allowed it, and I pray that you'd show me. But God, I praise you that you're in it, and you're going to work through it. You're going to work in the midst of it, and you're going to work not just in spite of it, but because of it. Now listen to me, church. I don't know what situation you're in today. 
but I guarantee you're in one. You're in one. You're in one that stinks in its own way, I'm sure. Somebody's bothering you at work. Maybe you've lost a job. You've got a sickness. Got a couple people in the hospital this week. You've got surgery. You've got something health-wise going on. You've got a daughter or son or somebody else that's estranged. Maybe you've even lost a child. You've got something. You've lost a parent. And you've got something that is just, it just eats at you all the time. God will never leave you. He will never leave you in the middle of it. And more than that, he wants to meet you in your time of turmoil. Praise always does two things. Number one, it changes you, right? It's the first thing it does. Sometimes it changes our circumstances. Sometimes it changes what's going on in our life. Sometimes it literally changes the fabric of the events in our life. But what it always does is changes who? Me. Because it changes my perspective. It changes the way I see what's happening. It changes. It actually puts me on a plane with the Lord. And one of the things that I'd actually call you to do is when things happen that you don't like, the first thing we usually do is why? And we tend to bow up. That's a why question. You ever heard your kids ask that or somebody else's kids? It's usually a bow-up question. Why, Daddy? Switch that and ask, for what purpose, Lord, have you allowed this? Because in that moment, the moment you stop bowing up at God and why, 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 and begin to say, Lord, for what purpose, you actually partner with him in bringing that supernatural reality into the natural. All of a sudden, you're going, Lord, I don't like this. And say that. I even hate this. You might have to repent of it, but say it, because he already knows what's in your heart. I don't like this situation. It's eating at me. It's bothering me. I can't stand it. But Lord, I praise you in the middle of it. And then ask him, for what purpose has he allowed this in your life right now? And let the Holy Spirit start speaking to you, because he will. He's got a reason. He's got a purpose if you let him take it and shift it. Is that going to be an easy task? No. Will you have to do it one day, and then another day, and then another day, and then another day? Yes. I've got a couple things in our life that I have to do it every day. Every day. Lord, it's yours. I give it to you. I praise you for it. It's a sacrifice of praise, Lord Jesus, in the middle of it. I can't stand it, but I choose to give it to you. And then not only am I going to give it to you, Lord, I'm going to say, Lord, for what purpose have you allowed it? And how can I be a companion and participant with you in bringing the heavenly reality into earth? That's what it's about. So you've got Paul and Silas who've been beaten with rods. They are bloody. They are stabbed. They are in the dark, morbid, dank, rat-infested prison. Do you think a Roman prison was nice? Stunk like excrement, urine, feces, the whole bit, infection being rampant, they're bleeding like crazy. Do you think it's even a safe place to be? I had a few medical people in the room and they're going. And what are they doing? Paul's over there going, what if we get it infected because of the human excrement in the room? What if the church in Philippi doesn't work? What if the people don't like us? What if the magistrate kills us tomorrow? And Silas is going, oh, we're all going to die. Do we do that? Come on. Whatever situation you're in, do we not what if it to death? I mean, golly, do we not? What if the Lord doesn't come through? What if this happens? What if that happens? Do you know how many what ifs we live in? Do most of those what ifs ever even happen? No. 
Can you say that again? Do most of those what-ifs ever even happen? No. No. But we continue to beat the what-if horse to, like, death. What if, what if, what if? And we live in this, like, vain imaginations of what could happen. Do you think Paul and Silas faced those fears and those feelings that night at midnight? You better believe it. You better believe it. And what did they do? They made a choice. Whatever it is. What if our daughter does this? What if our son does this? What if this happens to my parents? What if they fire me? What if, whatever it is, they took it all and they chose to make a sacrifice of praise before God. And it says about midnight, they began singing hymns. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I think one of the things we fail to do when we read the Bible is we actually fail to humanize these people. And we tend to think they're not like us. I've got news for you. They're just like us. One of them was in there cussing and fussing. I guarantee it. We were in Lydia's, you know, guest bedroom last night, and now here we are stuck in the stocks. This is horrible. What happened? Why did God send us to Philippi? I hate Philippi. I mean, can you imagine? This is terrible. And they chose to take those imaginations. They chose to take those frustrations. They chose to take those things and actually pull them down and go, Lord Jesus, in the middle of a situation that we do not like, we are going to bring you a sacrifice of praise. And they actually began to sing hymns. I've got this uh, thing that I've done with all of our kids when I put them to bed. And um, I'm just starting to do it with little Amelia because um, mom's always been feeding her at night. This is Abby, my wife, up here. And uh, she's just being weaned off. And so I'm starting to put her to bed a little bit. And it's it's wonderful. But I'll always sing. And I sing, um, sometimes I sing Amazing Grace. Um, Sometimes I sing, um, I don't even know. Jesus, there's something about that name. Anyway, I sing two or three songs. We say the Lord's Prayer, um, and sometimes we say the 23rd Psalm. And I'm a terrible singer. Like, terrible. I'm like a monotone, like it's a, you know, it is the funniest thing. And we have this little monitor in there um, so that Abby can, like, hear me in some other part of the house. And it, it, is, it is just the funniest little thing. But here's the, here's the deal. Listen to me, church. It doesn't matter what you sound like. What my kids hear is a daddy whose heart is not just surrendered to the Lord, but I'm actually asking that some of that supernatural reality would come down and become part of their reality. And I'm spending a few minutes with them in the nighttime, right before they go to bed, and I'm going, Lord Jesus, would you shape this little one's heart? Would you shape their destiny? Would you shape their future? Would you call them forth as a young man or woman of God? Lord Jesus, would you infuse them with your spirit and your strength? Does it matter what I sound like? Do you know how much our insecurity puts us in checkmate and keeps us from doing the things God's called us to do? Do you know how many times we fail to do what God's called us to do because of our own insecurity? Come on, church. I'm preaching way better than you're responding. Somebody say something. Yeah, Perry! I looked at Abby the other day, and I said, Abby, there's a situation in our life, and I said, Abby... I'm discovering I'm way more insecure than I ever thought I was. And I'm discovering that my own insecurity is the greatest enemy of that supernatural reality of what God wants to do in Michael's life and through Michael's life being made reality here and now. And I don't want to live out of my insecurity. 
I don't want to live out of my what ifs. I want to live out of the supernatural reality of what he said, what he's promised. And even if I'm in the stocks or whatever it looks like and I'm bleeding and I'm feeling ugly and I'm worried I'm going to get infected because of the surliness around me, I'm going to make a choice to bring a sacrifice of praise. Some of you need to shift your attitude in your life today. Some of you may even need to go, Lord Jesus, I've been wrong. Would you forgive me? And I choose to bring a sacrifice of praise in this situation that I don't like. And instead of going, God, why? And I don't like and raising my fist, I'm actually going to start going, Lord, for what purpose have you allowed this? And how can I become a companion and a participant with you in bringing that heavenly reality into my earthly reality? And then sit back and watch heaven break through. But if you park it and stay in your what ifs, and your if-onlys, and your fears, and your anxieties, guess what's going to happen? You're going to sit there and live in a bunch of fear of something that probably is never going to happen anyway. And the enemy gets you in checkmate from moving forward on your life and becoming all that God's called you to be. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live like that. I want to get to the end of my race and stand before King Jesus and hear him say, well done. Not, well... You got stuck in anxiety for like 99 years. (laughs) You lived in the what-ifs for so long, it's like you missed everything I had for you. You got stuck in the earthly reality where moth and rust destroy and hair falls out. Instead of living in the heavenly reality of what really matters, you got stuck in your own insecurity. You refused to reach out to that person that needed a hug needed an embrace, needed a prayer. You let your own wounds from the past dictate who you're going to be today instead of letting him heal those things and becoming the person he wants you to be for tomorrow. See, God's got a plan for each of us. He's got a purpose for every single one of you. And you know what? If you're willing to bring him the ugliest, gnarliest situation in your life, whatever it is, He can take it and shift it and use it for your good and his glory. And sometimes he might show up and change everything and shift all those circumstances. Will he every time? No. Sometimes he's going to call you to endure right through it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pray that he doesn't shift it. So we got Paul and Silas in the stocks that night. And about midnight, they're praising God and singing hymns, and their other prisoners are listening to them. And it says, suddenly, such a violent earthquake happened that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. So these guys are praising God. Now, now let me just tell you something about me. Uh, Worship was really good today, by the way. Is Perry in here? He, he snuck away back there. I don't know where Perry is. Oh, well, but it was, it was really good. It was really, really good. And here's what is amazing to me in this passage, is you have Paul and Silas worshiping God when they're stuck in the stocks, and who shows up? God. I don't want to just sing. I don't really care about singing. I want to see God show up. 
And God decided to show up on this particular day in the form of an earthquake. And the whole building shakes and the foundation of the prison is literally ruptured. And the doors come busting open. And God decides to show up and worship among his people that night. Some of you have a situation in your life right now that you need God to show up and shake the foundation loose and break something open. And I'm telling you, it is not going to happen until you're willing to surrender that heart and bring a sacrifice of praise to Jesus. And it may take years. He may call you not just to to praise, but to keep praising and to keep praising and to keep laying it down and keep giving it back to him. Keep bringing that sacrifice of praise. And at some point, that shaking will happen that shakes that foundation and breaks those prison doors open. And he will break forward into your life. Now, the kind of worship that I want us to have, and I refuse to call it just singing or whatever. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We're coming together on Sunday morning because we want to worship King Jesus. I want to worship. I mean, really worship. I used to coach soccer for our kids. And at the soccer field, can you imagine me? You think I'm quiet? No. My favorite age is when you're under 10 because you can actually run out on the soccer field and the kid's got the ball and you're like running next to him. Come on, come on. And you're like yelling and running right next to him and you're right out there on the field with him. And it's this amazing experience. It's almost like the Holy Spirit with us now. But we come to church and it's like we got to be prim and proper and quiet when we worship. We go to a game and what can we do? I'm not saying we need to get out of order or be crazy, but I would love to risk some exuberance in our worship. And I'd love not to just sing songs. I'd love that we actually would make not only a joyful noise, but that we would worship in such a way that heaven responds and breaks into his people. Because see, heaven responded this particular night. And why did he respond? I don't know. Maybe it was because their situation was so bad and they were in so much pain and they were in so much duress and they were facing death before the magistrate in the morning and they decided to praise God in the middle of it and so God breaks forth upon his people. But my prayer for Saltbox when we come in here and strum a guitar and play a keyboard and play some drums and sing some vocals is that God would break out on his people. That's why we get together to worship, that the presence of God would be here. Because great preaching and great worship and some cool lyrics and some fancy shoes and a whatever, whatever does not change people's lives. But when people encounter the living God, their lives are changed. When they can sense and see and taste of the presence of God, they will change. So God breaks in and he starts worshiping also. Lord Jesus, would you break forth upon our worship here at Saltbox in such a way that that heavenly reality becomes an earthly reality here in the odd little cafeteria at Hoggard High School. Amen. The God who meets you in your time of turmoil. My third point is this is the God who breaks you free. He breaks you free literally, he breaks you free emotionally, he breaks you free spiritually, he breaks you free relationally. Um, Amelia, our almost two-year-old, sleeps in a little sleep sack. It's like a zippered little, it's like a little angel suit or something. She's got these wings and these little, anyway. She got her arm stuck in the middle of the night. She got her arm stuck down on this side. I don't really know what happened, but all of a sudden I hear her squallering, Mama! Mama! So anyway, I jump out of bed, and I run in there, and she's like, Dave, arm's stuck. And so I, I got her arm. 
And then guess what we did? I put her over my shoulder, and guess what I did? I sang. I made a joyful noise with my not-so-good voice. But I comforted her, and then I laid her back down. Now listen to me. When you get before the Lord and you start going, Lord, I'm in need. Lord, I need you to break in here. Lord, I'm in pain. Lord Jesus, I'm choosing to bring a sacrifice of praise, but I got pain and difficulty and challenge in my heart. Do you think he's a father who's going to meet you? That's a Sunday school answer. Do you really believe he's the father who's going to meet you? Now, here's the watershed. Is he always going to meet you in the way you want to be met? No. Is he always going to meet you? Yes. The question is, are you, uh, is your heart surrendered in such a way that you can go, Lord Jesus, I'm not sure how you're going to break into this situation, but would you break in? And then do you have the courage to wait and watch and see if he breaks in in a way that you don't expect? Maybe in a way you don't want. A couple years ago, Abby and I were pastors at a different church, and we thought we were staying there long term. And we ended up not being there. And that hurt our feelings for a little bit. This is where we're supposed to be. Amen. We prayed and prayed and prayed, and we thought this was what was supposed to happen. And guess what? He said, no. And we had to align our thoughts and feelings with who? Him. We had to change. You might have to change. Fill in the blank. You know where, you know when, you know how. But if you're praying that God breaks forth and into your life, be willing to see and to sense and to incline your ears and turn your eyes to him to see where and how he is breaking in. This is the God who will break you free. My last point, I'm going to skip that Daniel verse, but my last point is this is the God who gives purpose to your suffering. Now, there's three different lost people in this chapter. We talked a little bit about Lydia, and she gets set free. She comes to Christ, and guess what happens to her whole family? They all come to Christ. They all get baptized. Guess where the church starts meeting in Philippi? Lydia's palace, that's right, or house, whatever that thing was. And they loved it. They were all stoked. It's Sunday! We're going to Lydia's. You know, there's going to be good food, and it's a cool house. Come on. Then you have this little slave girl who's in bondage, and no telling what all her masters are doing with her. We'll leave that there. Slaves in Rome were a horrible class, and they were able to be mistreated all manner of ways. And she gets set free. And then we're about to see about this jailer. So he's the God who gives purpose to your suffering. So the, the verse, uh, the scriptures go on. Uh, verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, so the, the earthquake happens, the prison doors fling open, and the, sailor, the, the jailer draws his sword, and he's about to kill himself. Now, under Roman law at this time, when you're responsible for prisoners, and if the prisoners escape, guess who gets their sentence? You do. So he knew that these two dudes who are in the stocks are destined to die in the morning, and because they've now escaped, what's he decide to do? I'm going to end this early because I sure don't want that magistrate to get his hands on me. And he starts literally committing suicide. And what's Paul say? Paul calls out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Now, I love Paul. I love Paul because he never holds a grudge. 
He's walked with God so long, and the Lord's rubbed all these edges off of him, and he is able not only to um, forgive this jailer, he is immediately able to go. The presence and power of the Lord wants to get a hold of you today. The person who beat him, the person who held him captive, the person who's got him tied up, and he's saying, no, 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 don't, don't, don't hurt yourself, don't harm yourself. And what's Paul want to do? He's going to share the gospel with him. And the jailer can't believe it. And so the jailer takes Paul and Silas and starts talking to him. And the jailer literally takes a sponge and water, a cloth and water. And what's he start doing? He starts cleaning their backs. These bloody, horrible backs. And while he's cleaning Paul's back, while he's rubbing the blood and the, the scabs and the, the ugliness off of Paul's physical body, what is Paul doing? He's preaching the gospel. He is sharing the light and the love of Christ Jesus. Now, can you share the love and light of Christ Jesus with the person who causes you the greatest pain today? Paul's doing it. Can you? So this jailer is literally cleaning Paul's back and cleaning Silas's back. And they're, they are literally sharing the gospel of Christ Jesus with the jailer. And then what's absolutely beautiful is you have the jailer who's cleaning Paul with water. And then Paul takes the jailer and baptizes him in water. So you got the jailer who's washing away blood and dirt. And then you got Paul who in the name and power and authority of Christ Jesus is washing away sin. And the old man. And Paul takes the second family in the city of Philippi down and baptizes the entire family into Christ Jesus. He's the God who gives purpose to your suffering. Where you're suffering today, I don't know. But here's what I do know. If you will ask, Lord, what is your purpose in it? He'll speak it to you. If you bow up and ask why, keep going. He'll leave you there for a long time. But you begin to ask for what purpose, and he will meet you in it. The next thing that happens, and I love this, and at first glance as you look down, you go, Paul's almost arrogant because he, he's free to go. And yet, what does Paul do? Oh, no, I'm staying. That guy wanted to put us out quietly. That magistrate who beat me, no, 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 no. You tell him to come down here. And, and you can almost get this idea that Paul's arrogant. But as you kind of dig through the weeds and you look closer here, what is Paul doing? Paul's an apostle. Silas is traveling with him. They, their heart is to plant. Come on. Their heart is to plant churches. If Paul doesn't deal head on with the magistrate, what are they going to do to that jailer? Probably kill him. If Paul doesn't deal head-on with the magistrates, what are they probably going to do to Lydia's family? Kill her. If Paul doesn't deal head-on, what are they going to do to that slave girl that just got set free? Kill her. So by Paul staying, and I love the way it ends, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house they met with the believers and encouraged them. And then they left. See, before Paul hit the road, before Silas hit the road, they were going, you know what? We're going to make sure Lydia doesn't get killed. 
Because her house is where the church is going to meet. And we're going to make sure this new Roman jailer, who's middle class, Lydia would have been upper class, but this Roman jailer, who's just given his life to Christ, isn't killed. And we're going to make sure this slave girl, who's been set free, lower class, isn't killed. And we're going to bless this new church that is a conglomerate of socioeconomic backgrounds and diversities. And we're going to stay long enough to make sure that the the magistrates know that we are Roman citizens and under Roman law they cannot kill us without a trial. And we're going to make sure this church is set up. Coming in the new year, we're going to study the book of Philippians because it's to the church in Philippi that these guys planted on this particular day. Now listen to me. If you're willing to take that most painful thing to him, whatever it is, not just once, but again and again and again, he'll use it for your good. He'll use it for his glory. And he'll use it to establish his kingdom on the earth. As we take communion, the question I'd like you to ponder is where is that thing that I just can't quite seem to get off my chest into the hands of Jesus? And today, on this day, can you get it off your chest into his hands and can you praise him? Lord Jesus, you're the God that gives purpose to our suffering. You're the God who breaks us free. You're the God who meets us in our time of turmoil. You're the God who never leaves us. Lord, as we're here as a little church today preparing our hearts for communion, we want to praise you. And we want to worship you that you came and you died so that we didn't have to. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat in an upper room with his disciples and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. This is broken for you. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance. And then he took probably a pitcher of wine and he poured it into a goblet and he said, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. Every time you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. Today we're drinking grape juice, not wine. But as we do so, I want you to remember what he's done. And I want you to think about how he's called you to give whatever it is you can't seem to give. Watch your chest into his hands. Lord, would you take these elements this morning in Hoggard High School cafeteria as we do church? And would you set them apart, Lord? Father, would you let the grace of Christ be so real to us today because it's not about what we've done or what we've failed to do. It's about what you've done. You paid it all on the cross. Father, as we come and celebrate today, would you remind us about your body and your blood? 
Would you remind us about the finished work of Christ Jesus? Would you remind us that if we confess and believe and turn, that you will save us, that you will live your life in us and through us? Lord, would you remind us that we can actually praise you in the midst of the most painful circumstances? Lord, set these elements apart for us today. Minister to our hearts, Father. Abby, will you help me? Here's what I'm going to have you do. We're going to start over here with Jay and Donna, and then we're going to just do one section, and then this section, and then that. But you're just going to come up, and we're going to give you communion. We're going to look you in the eyes tell you that the love and life of the Lord Jesus is here and now and operative for you to take and eat. I'm going to turn my mic off. You guys just worship in the background, whatever the Lord's leading, and we'll start.
let's stand together. Ah! 
breakthrough in worship, and I think it's starting. Steve, would you mind, uh, when we finish giving communion to our worship team and our kids' people, I'm going to make sure we get that. As we go this week, Lord Jesus, whatever stocks we feel like our feet are fastened into, bring those to you, would you turn them and make them a platform that you could use in ministry to bless the ones around us? Yes. Would you give purpose to whatever suffering we find ourselves in the middle of this week? Yes. Lord, would you let us put those around us higher than we put ourselves? Yes. Lord, would you let us use our very pain to bless and love on those next to us? Holy Spirit, would you cause your face to shine on this group? Would you bless marriages, families, kids, grandkids? Lord, would you meet us and would you send us forth from this place full of your spirit? Father, we're not going to the town over to preach the gospel, but some of us are going to work and the park and school and other places. And I pray that we'd be carriers of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Church, go knowing that his face shines brightly on you and that our Jesus paid it all. If you need special prayer, if you need a special breakthrough, don't walk out of here without grabbing one of us. I'll be up here. Let's hang just a minute on the chairs. Let's wait five or ten minutes before we pack those up. We love you. More importantly, he loves you.